Hey there, it's Daisha. Welcome to the first of our Music Education Month episodes. So you may have heard me mention on the show before that I grew up in a pretty middle-ish class neighborhood going to public schools and all through my public school experience, there was music. Apparently even in preschool, I pretended to play the piano to what I imagined were my adoring fans. Uh, we had class recitals in elementary school, we had music class and band, and then in junior high there was yet more band. And then I got into heavy metal and punk rock and took up electric guitar and my parents soundproofed my room, but that was a whole other story. Anyway, my dad had been a really accomplished first chair trumpet player when he was in school, and so magically a trumpet found its way into my hands. Up until embarrassingly recently, I actually thought that this was like everybody's music experience in school, and I was stunned to find out that this wasn't the case. Seeing all these stories of music programs being taken out of school, kids growing up with like no music education at all, I was basically like, egads, how can this be? But then I went, hey, wait a minute, I think I smell something. Oh, right, that's my privilege talking. It occurred to me that the situation with music education in the U.S. is probably way more complex than that. That some people my age grew up with music and a lot probably didn't. And then, like, while music is being taken out of some schools, there are these amazing new programs I keep hearing about that are reaching people who've never had music education before. So I wanted to find out more. Uh, hence these episodes. And in this first episode, my guest Michelle Hoffman teaches me all about one such incredible program and a whole lot more. I hope you enjoy it after this word from our sponsor. This episode of the Classical Classroom is sponsored by Maestro Classics, which now offers orchestral scores and parts for rent. This is actually a really cool thing. There are arrangements for narrator and orchestra, and if you're trying to get the youngins in your life into classical music and they think that listening to me is really boring, you can rent these for at-home family concerts and you can actually get them into the music. You can also use uh, these scores for a whole orchestra if you want to. They've got The Sorcerer's Apprentice, Juanita the Spanish Lobster, and a one-hour edition of the Nutcracker Ballet. If you want to hear something else, you can also send Maestro a message. Check them out at maestroclassics.com. And now on with the show. March is Music Education Month. As you can hear from the music playing right now, music education is in need of some help. Or is it? Was there a golden era of music education from which we've fallen and can't get up? Or has it evolved and become a better and more widely spread version of itself? We'll talk to a range of music educators, administrators, and students to find out in these episodes of Classical Classroom for Music Education Month. Hello everyone and welcome to the Classical Classroom. I'm Daisha Clay and here with me today is Michelle Hoffman. Michelle is the Director of Education and Community Engagement at the DC-based Washington Performing Arts. WPA is many things. It's a presenting organization, a commissioning organization, and an educational institution. And they've received awards for their work in music education. And that is what we're going to be talking about today. Michelle, welcome to the Classical Classroom. Thank you for having me. So before we get into what WPA does, in, in part what you do is you address this issue of music education, and that's how we all talk about it, that it's, a, that it's an issue. So tell me about arts education, the state of arts and music education in the U.S., and why it's an issue. 
I think the best way to address the state of arts education in the United States is that it's in a constant state of flux. We talk to our parents and grandparents, and they often say, oh, music was part of our everyday school experience, and there was a piano in the classroom, and my teachers sang with me. But as time has gone on, teachers aren't trained in the same way, and it's Mm -hmm. less and less a part of the everyday school experience for students across the country. Mm -hmm. And so I think people refer to the issue of music and arts education as a way of referring to the fact that it's not part of the everyday core curriculum and is now considered to be an extra, a special in many schools across the country. That's what I always think about arts education, right? Like when I was a kid, you know, I just I went to a public school, not a big deal, not an art school of any sort, but I always music was always a part of the curriculum, you know, and and I'm not super ancient. It wasn't that long ago, but I have only recently become aware of the fact that that's not a thing for everyone. That's right. You know, I I think we all do this thing where we look back at the the good old days and and kind of idealize the past. But but I've wondered in thinking about music education if those great experiences that so many of us had in the not-so-long-ago past, if that is not necessarily true for all populations. Like, I'm wondering if underserved populations got that back then. Right. I would say that across the board, especially in D.C., I can tell you that there are communities who are considered to be underserved. Mm -hmm. And their schools and the students there perform differently. You know, their grades may not be as high as a district would like, or the, the teachers are equipped in certain ways but not others. And so one of the first things that school systems do in reaction to trying to prepare their students better is to increase instruction in those core areas of math and science Mm -hmm. and English and writing and reading. And they're incredibly important subject matter. We know that for sure. But what happens when they increase instruction in those areas is the time has to come from somewhere. Right. And sadly, One of the first places that time comes from is music and art education. It seems to some administrators and maybe even to some parents that those are extra to a curriculum, that there isn't skill that can be gained from experiencing creative uh, arts programming in the, the school day. And I think that's part of what happens is that we lose instructional time to other subject areas instead Mm -hmm. of thinking of music and art as a way to engage students and excite them in their school days so they're ready to take on those other subjects. Well, and moreover, it seems like the arts are getting defined for young people as bonus activity, frivolity, like uh, that they're not somehow serious and worthwhile but they're they're those things that you get to do during your own personal time right yeah and so music and art gets moved to after school activities or clubs instead of being a regular part of the school day but when you think about it babies they'll sing and dance before they can walk and talk Mm -hmm. and students can draw and be creative and and have really natural ways of expressing themselves through art and mm. and 
It's just a natural part of who we are as human beings. So to see it taken out of the school day, in my opinion, feels like taking out part of what makes us good humans. Absolutely. I mean, I think that that the arts are, you know, expression, creative expression is just absolutely part of who we are at our very core as human beings, and it always has been. But there's also this legitimacy that's given Mm. to something when it is sort of acknowledged by our institutions as Mm -hmm. something that that takes up class time that is worth having teachers teach. You know, right. Yeah. Well, what what encourages me is that while it is hard to measure and hard to show through quantitative numbers, maybe Mm -hmm. the value of arts education, it is real. And there are some remarkable things that happen in creative classrooms. I think what is encouraging about the state of arts education is that it is being recognized as having value. There has traditionally Mm -hmm. been in education trends and pendulum swings. And for a while, uh, through the 90s and early 2000s, education and uh, core curriculum was about science and technology and math and English and language arts. And we started to see some of the results of that, of having Mm -hmm. arts education be pushed to the side, as you said, is is frivolity as the extra or after school mm-hmm. activity. And so we're starting to see some of the the pedagogy, including more and more about what is called social emotional learning. And that is now what is being seen at, by school districts as really the core of what needs to be done to educate students. Social emotional learning is all about those skills that make us effective in understanding emotions, in setting goals, in establishing relationships and making decisions. And that is what employers and colleges and community and business see as the skills and attributes they want in future employees. And so school systems are starting to see that as important. Well, there is no subject area like the arts to meet social and emotional learning goals, which is really exciting for us as arts educators in the community because we know for sure that there is nothing like playing in a band or an orchestra to help us with self-awareness and team building and responsibility and um, setting goals and meeting them. And so it's an opportunity for arts educators all over the country to dig into subject areas like social and emotional learning and show the value of what they can do. It's funny because I understand because, especially in public education, educators, uh, administrators, they're all going on data, right. data that's that's collected. And when I've talked to other people in education, they've talked about the fact that those pendulum swings, like you're talking about, where some data came up that showed that people were, were lacking 
in, in the STEM areas, science, mm-hmm. technology, engineering, and math. And, and so there's been this big push around that, and which is, you know, like you said, pushed arts education out of the way. But now here we are at another pivot point where it's like, oh, hey, turns out we're lacking in some skills mm-hmm. and we, we should really do something about that. And these are all data-driven decisions. It's hard to demonize anybody right. you know, for going on data that's collected. But, you know, we're always wanting to, to quantify hmm. the arts, the benefit of arts education and all of that kind of stuff because we know that, like, all, all of these decisions are coming from data. And right. so to have that data is really important. But it's so unfair to the arts because so much that's beneficial from the arts is not quantifiable. <laughs> you know, it's right. And, and it like that's why it's great is that it's it's a different thing. It is great, actually. Something I, I have said to others is that it is hard to measure the benefits of arts education sometimes because for you know, a minor reason is you can't have a control group. No one wants to have one set of kids not receiving arts education so you can measure right. those kids in the same school who are getting it. That's mm-hmm. not a good way to, to go about your business either. And so mm-hmm. what we're seeing schools do in order to have ways of measuring these benefits is to talk about educating the whole child mm-hmm. and to think about mm-hmm. creating joyful and inclusive academic experiences so that students, what they can measure is, are they satisfied going to school? Uh, Can they show graduation rates changing when the arts programs are back in a school? Can school Mm -hmm. systems look at truancy and discipline in a school? And that's not a primary reason to keep arts education Mm -hmm. in your schools, but it's one of those other ways of measuring success by including yeah. arts and arts education in a school day. So so it's sort of like looking at institutions that are including the arts and those that aren't so much and sort of drawing correlations exactly. from the data between. I see. Okay, that's that's interesting. That seems so much more I don't know. I I like that that idea so much more than just going a child who comes out of school with an arts education will make X amount more than, you know, yeah, because that's the kind of data I've seen before. And I'm just like, that's not why you make art. No, it isn't. (laughs) At at the core of it, it's because we're passionate about something and we want to be creative and there's fulfillment in being part of a team, uh, in part of an ensemble and part of a a dance ensemble. And so that's the important part and that we're able to start showing value of it, not just arts for art's sake, but We love to hear students say, well, I applied myself in music and by practicing and learning how to to meet a goal, I was able to do that in another subject area as well. That is gold. We love to hear that from students.
Have you ever wished, dreamily, that you could experience more of Classical Classroom than just amazing podcast episodes? Now you can! Just go to classicalclassroomshow.com and experience the heck out of the many offerings there. Written things, social media, pictures, pink headphones, and don't forget the tip jar up there in the corner at the top where you can make a one-time or recurring gift of any amount you can imagine. By the way, our friends at NewY made this website, and they can make a site for you too. Plus, they can help you promote your business. Check them out at classicalclassroomshow.com slash NW. That's N as in new and W as in Y. And now back to my conversation with Michelle Hoffman. So I want to get to what Washington Performing Arts is, first of all, a little bit more about what you guys do, and then what you're doing about this issue of arts and music education. Oh, that's so, one of my so favorite first, what do you guys things. Do? Well, yeah. Washington Performing Arts is a nonprofit arts organization in Washington, D.C. Uh, we're just over 50 years old, and from our founding, we have been an arts presenter and an arts mm-hmm. uh, creator a co-commissioner and a supporter and benefactor of young and upcoming artists. In addition, from our very first day, we have been an arts education organization. And now 50 years into our existence, what we do best is combining the the presenting part of our, our mission, which is finding mm-hmm. and bringing the best artists and orchestras and groups to Washington, D.C. from around the world. And we combine that with our education programs in D.C. and surrounding areas. You guys, I mean, you put on some big, big names, your, your Joshua Bells and what have you. Right. Uh, but why those three things together, those that like you're, you're presenting concerts, mm-hmm. commissioning work, and education. Why do those things work well together? I think because that's what communities look to see. When we present big name artists like Yo-Yo Ma or Joshua Bell or Hilary Hahn, those are artists that bring joy to our community because those artists want to come to D.C. and meet our audiences. And that's wonderful. And it's an opportunity for families and community around D.C. to hear the best of the best. And that's wonderful. When we're able to pair that with education programming and give students an opportunity to see and hear and interact with those kind of artists, it gives them an idea of what they could shoot for. Uh, They get to have a sense of these are real human beings that have to practice the same way I do. And it, it, it is a sense of... Much like in in a school, we want to talk about the whole child, Washington Performing Arts is able to look at presenting and creating programs that really uh, serve the whole community in different ways. And that's that's what we do. We look to find opportunities for people to experience the arts and then remove the barriers to them getting there. So 
you guys have some really interesting programs and approaches to doing this too. One of the standouts to me when I was kind of looking into your stuff is the the Embassy Adoption Program. Yes. The Embassy Adoption Program is a partnership with the D.C. Public Schools. The program has been going on for about 43 years, believe it or not. And it's our opportunity. Yeah, it's it's an opportunity that can really only happen this way in Washington, D.C., because we pair fifth and sixth grade classrooms with the diplomatic community, the embassies and global entities that are located right in D.C. Um, So this Mm -hmm. year, we actually have 85 embassy partners paired with fifth and sixth grade classrooms all across the district. And the students and teachers in that program spend their whole year learning about their adopted country. They learn about the arts and culture, the geography, the history, the economy, climate, everything you can think of. It's a beautiful opportunity for students in D.C. to really think outside their own neighborhoods and start to think about global citizenry. And it's a a wonderful program. The, The kids just love it. And so each year, the students meet with their embassy partners. Diplomats go into the schools to visit with the students. Washington Performing Arts is able to provide field trips and in-school artist visits and opportunities to experience arts and culture, whether it's through our programming or other museum or performing arts or humanities programming happening throughout the city. And by the end of the year, the students complete two culminating projects. One is a capstone presentation where the students go to the embassy and perform for the ambassadors and embassy staff to showcase everything they've learned. And the other culminating event is participating in a mini United Nations simulation. And they eat. It's amazing. Each classroom sends six delegates to the U.N. And the students in fifth grade debate global climate change. And the sixth graders this year are going to be debating natural disaster response. And so it's an amazing program where the students are able to just explore the world around them from different perspectives and different cultures, and and they come away with a whole new sense of where they live and the the special nature of being a resident of D.C., but also a sense of the greater world around them. So this is an incredible program, like you said, that could only exist in D.C. What are a few things that you might recommend to people out there outside of D.C. that could help get initiatives going on in their own communities? What, what kinds of things can people, parents and just concerned citizens be doing in their communities to make sure that kids are getting music education, that arts education doesn't go away? I love, I love that question. Thank you for asking it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would say that it's really important for parents and community members to think about their own experiences in school and things that they remember the most. You, mm-hmm. you mentioned your education experience learning about Russia. You remember that for a reason. And to think mm-hmm. about those things and, and demand that their students and their community experience those things in a way that's relevant 
in their in their own place. And so it might be parents at a high school making sure that they show up occasionally at a school board meeting and if nothing else, saying thank you for continuing to support the arts education in mm-hmm. our classrooms. In other places, they might need to go and demand, we would like to see more and more arts education for our students. It is very important for the students themselves to speak up and talk about mm-hmm. what it is they love about their school day. And if that's arts education, the business community needs to hear it. The school boards and the administrators in schools need to hear it because those are the people who make decisions. And when they're hearing from students and parents, it's a very powerful opportunity. You heard our youngins get out there and hustle. That's right. Arts education happen in your schools and parents too. Michelle Hoffman of Washington Performing Arts. This has been such a cool conversation. I learned a lot today. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. And now, friends, that bittersweet time has come where the episode ends. Bitter? because the audio fun must stop. Sweet, because now I can have a snack. For more episodes, just go to classicalclassroomshow.com. Follow us on all the social media platforms that you will find links to there. You can also send us an email at classicalclassroomshow at gmail.com. Thanks today to the home of Classical Classroom, King FM in Seattle, where this one utensil has been in the sink for like three weeks. Thanks to our birthplace, Houston Public Media. Thanks to Michelle Hoffman and the WPA for being on the show. Look for more of these music education episodes coming up this month. Thanks to me for saying words, but most of all, thanks to you for listening. We'll catch you next time.